0: Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Before we put the car in drive, a reminder to rate us and leave a review on iTunes. Your thoughts and comments help us make this show that much better. Thursday, August 25, 2016, will mark the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. Since its founding, the 59 parks included under the umbrella of the National Park Service have been photographed by just about every celebrated landscape photographer, not to mention an untold number of common folks like you and I. The National Park Service Historic Photographic Collection contains over 2 million images of landscapes, architecture, Native American heritage, the Civilian Conservation Corps, NPS personnel, roads, and much more. About 2,000 of these images are already viewable online and more on the way. Today, John Harris and I will be discussing the relationship of photography and the Park Service and how photography has been and continues to be a promotional vehicle for the parks going back to the earliest days. Joining us is Chris Nicholson, photographer, educator with National Parks at Night and author of Photographing National Parks. Also joining us is Kerry Gallivan, CEO and co-founder of Shimani, a free app for exploring and touring the national parks. Let's start by talking about the photography aspect of the 100th anniversary of the Park Service. Um, over the past century, uh, just about every well-known landscape photographer, like Ansel Adams, Carlton, Watkins, and a whole bunch of names we've been throwing around here, some of which we've known and some we don't, uh, they've all photographed the parks, and some of these people have photographed the same locations at different times. It seems that the national parks and photography are, are have been together from day one. Uh, photography became sort of uh, reachable to the general public about 100 years ago and became part of the mainstream, same time the parks started going. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between the two. Um, Photography was definitely used to sell the concept to government agencies as well as the public and get a little more interest out there. Any thoughts about that as far as how photography and the parks have been entwined. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It, go, it does go back to day one. Um, Yellowstone was
1: the first national park, and remember, um, I mean, this is the late 1800s. Uh, people weren't traveling cross country, um, so these stories were coming back of this place where water was shooting out of the ground, and you know uh, there were pools of boiling water, and all the, uh, people just didn't believe it. You know they thought that these stories were fake. Um, so. When Congress was asked to preserve this land, they actually sent uh, an expedition out to, you know, to to check it out. See, is Mm -hmm. this place real? Is it worth us doing something about? And there was a painter and a photographer, uh, Thomas Moran and William Henry Jackson, who uh, documented this. I mean, uh, Moran did these beautiful paintings of Yellowstone. He's got great paintings of Yosemite as well. Um, And, you know, they brought the artwork back so that people could see this was real and how amazing it was. Uh, it, it was huge. It was very key to starting the National Park Movement, um, which has grown so much, uh, it, you know, over the last hundred plus years uh, and is now a worldwide phenomenon that the U.S. is credited with. And uh, art and photography were were huge in that. Um,
0: Chris, tell us about your work and if you can give us an idea afterwards of when you're going out to photograph a park, what's your plan of action? How do you – what's your thought process? Okay.
1: Okay. Um, Well, the first time I ever visited
0: a national park was when I was one, so
1: I don't have a lot of memories of it. Uh, But the point is it's something I've been doing my whole life. Uh, My my parents uh, used to bring us camping, uh, often into the national parks. Um, And then eventually I got into photography uh, around college, uh, and um, uh, the two just kind of went together. Uh, So when I traveled, I'd try to stop at national parks and... um, Working as a photographer, I worked in magazines for ten years, and we did. You grow up? To, where, where? I grew up in Connecticut. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. Um, so, um, but I would try to even sneak national park work into assignments. So, like, <laughs> uh, I worked for Tennis Magazine, and they they sent me to Marco Island to cover an event, and uh, you know it was sort of a travel story, and I, I, I told the art director, I said, well, you know. Uh, Everglades is right next to Marco Island. We should probably no include that. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good. That's a good idea, Chris. Go spend a couple of days on the park. Um, so, uh, but honestly, I mean, I've been pursued it as a passion. Um, you know, I'll go shoot the parks whether I'm getting paid or not. Um, I, you know, I'm always trying to work a project around it. Um, lately, it seems I'm working on two, three projects at a time in a park, which is great. I, I just love being able to uh, incorporate that into my career. And then the the book, too, was... how um, had that come kind of about? That was uh, it almost, it was very um, serendipitous. Uh, I was doing a presentation at the b event space uh, about photographing the parks. Uh, this was in 2012 or 13. And um, I was being introduced, and they said, Chris is working on a book on photographing <laughs> the parks. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I, you know, I didn't say anything. I, but a couple days later, I was meeting with... Um, a, the president of a book publisher I've worked with for a long time uh, doing freelance work and he, you know, I told him this funny story and he didn't think it was funny at all, he just stared at me and he said, Chris, that's a great idea for a book uh, so that that's how it started and it was such a blast to work on because like I said, I love the parks um, you know, the, the research I I, you know, got to do to, and you know, I said I got to do, it. I didn't have to do it, I got to do it, mm-hmm. uh, to fill in the holes in the books. and Just the whole process of writing it was a blast.
2: What, what I mean, the, the book takes each park and kind of looks at it through the eyes of a photographer and, and it, what are yeah. the best places to photograph and, and the gear you might need, that kind of a, a, what, yeah, what's the the, book like Yeah,
1: the book's um, kind of in, in two halves. So the first oh. half, I cover a lot of the logistics, um, you know, gear, uh how to scout your locations before you even get to the park, Mm -hmm. Uh, different photography techniques that, uh, you know, that apply to a lot of the subjects you come across in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second half of the book is I I go through all 59 national parks uh, through the eyes of a photographer. Mm -hmm. So what are the things that that we're looking for when we travel to a park? You know, uh, what's the wildlife there? What are the landscapes like? Uh, When are the wildflowers growing? Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, maybe it's a dumb question, but have you been to all 59?
1: I've not been to all 59. Okay. All right. No, I don't, What's I, I don't have an aspiration to, no? um, no, really? I, you know, some people, I guess that's a question know, you
2: get a lot of <laughs>
1: Yeah. A few people yeah. have asked and, um, you know, some people want to, you know, I'm going to do all 59 parks, you know, you see on Twitter, there's a few people who are I'm going to do 59 parks in the a year. The checklist type and of people, right? The guys. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the way that I like to work. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's about the photography first, and I think ph- photography is better when you really know a place, not when you're visiting it for two days True. to check it off the list that's a good point. Um, again, I have nothing against the idea of doing it if if that's what somebody wants to do, if that's what makes you tick, then have a blast. it's mm-hmm. it's not what makes me tick i right. want to I want to go and spend so a week you, a week and a half in one place and get to know it. which park have you visited the most and how many times? Acadia and I honestly lost track. It's about a dozen. It's about 12 times I've I've been to Acadia. And it's new each time. There are parts of it that are new each time. It's funny, it's Acadia is one of the smallest national parks, but there's so much there. Um uh, with national parks at night, we just did a workshop there in May. Mm-hmm. And it's something I heard from almost everybody is how how much variety there is in that park for a photographer. Um in the the coastline, you can get up into the mountains and um you know, there's bird photography. There's marshes. There's ponds. There's amazing fog. There's mm-hmm. carriage road. These stone carriage road bridges. There's just so. M- I mean, you really can't get bored there. And so it's, it's
0: not that you're not interested in all 59. It's just that you have so much going on in the ones that you've been going to. Yeah, you want to finish those up. It kind of. I mean, I never. Okay.
1: I never leave a national park shoot with. Everything checked off that I wanted to shoot. I always have notes left over in places I wanted to see in different light or in different weather. So a lot of times I'll take a note. You know, uh, maybe I'm there in June and I saw oh, I
0: really want to shoot this in the winter. Um,
1: uh-huh.
0: Okay. So I think uh, that going, makes sense.
1: Going back to a place can help you do better work. Uh, yeah,
2: no two ways about it. I get yeah. it. And and this may be a uh, tough question to answer also, but uh, are are there. A, what, when you go with these groups or when you go with groups to national parks or other photographers are are people more interested in wildlife or birding or is it landscape guys or is it it's the cross it's everybody or or would you say that people really like to specialize in one thing or the other
1: um well if you're talking about the workshops we do mm-hmm. it's you know it's night photography, so mm-hmm. that's going to be landscape and night sky um but, um, so w- you know, when people come in the workshops, of course, they're not there just to do night photography. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people who go to a workshop haven't been to that park mm-hmm. before. So they also want to see it during the day. So we get out, we visit the ranger station and and uh, kind of bring people to the, you know, the spots that we know are good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that there is a big variety. In fact, when we did the, uh, the workshop in Acadia in May, we had a photographer there. Her name was Elizabeth and she's a bird photography specialist and she brought her 500 f4 Mm -hmm. to a night photography workshop (laughs) which we just (laughs) thought was a riot
2: (laughs) and are there people that come who who aren't like your typical wildlife or nature photographers who want to kind of maybe shoot in I don't want to say an ironic way but who want to capture kind of the other aspect or even the visitors to the park and, and kind of that blend where where humanity and nature cross or you don't see that much um,
1: no, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. It's not the kind of photography I like to do. I, I usually try to keep people out of my photos because mm-hmm. I want to shoot nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of like to shoot nature, you know, untouched nature, which is another reason I like the park so much. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely huge opportunity for that. You know, even if you're just using people for scale like yeah. doing mountain photography to be able to include, you know, somebody who's climbing or just standing on a ridge of, mm-hmm.
2: um, and it's still possible I, I'm, I'm sure it is but uh do you have problems where you don't find untouched nature where you, you're going to get you know a, a wire or a, you're going to see the side of a road or, or light yeah. pollution is that sure is that something you have to look to avoid
1: yeah um in fact i was just a few days ago in north cascades national park and um one of the things there is uh, uh there's uh power stations mm-hmm. um, it's part of the history of the park of that area, the, the lakes there and some dams. Um, so so it, it is part of that area, but there are spaces where you have these, you know, huge power lines coming off of transformers um, that would, you know, interrupt a photo. if you wanted a unspoiled scene, then you'd probably go to, you know, drive a few miles down the road or, or the best thing, of course, now, is just to get on a trail. And
0: now what about like, if you found that picture that this is it, I've been waiting to take this picture forever and there mm-hmm. is a power line in it. Will you take it out?
2: No, 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 okay. No, just,
0: just curious. That's, that's a lot of
1: work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, there is, there must be an ethics to nature photography That's that, so. That I'm that just you, wondering like,
0: if people hold to anything like that. I mean, to me, I don't, I, I don't know what I would do. I, oh, I think some people hold to it. Um, I hope so. I mean, I think the
1: line's different for everybody and why you're yeah. doing the work to begin with. Uh, do you have to have journalistic integrity if you're producing an art photo? Right. Um my, you know, it's an interesting conversation, and I don't think there's a right yeah, or no, wrong. No, no, yeah, I, yeah. It, it
2: comes down to what your purpose is. Can we get back to when you're talking about the book and, and the first half of the book, some of the logistics and stuff. Or is there anything that that you can talk about that uh, about the parks in general, in terms of fees, arriving, things that you know, like kind of the logistics of it that are applicable to photographers, and, and maybe things that you're not going to just find on the websites. It's not just a matter of packing up your bag and driving and getting out your
0: car and just going. There's more to well, it. Well, you, you can. You but can, but if you want to do it right. It's not what I recommend doing. So what um, would you recommend? You know,
1: and that can be a lot of fun. And again, I don't want to take away from somebody who, who does that. You know, when I, was in, when I was in my 20s, let me go back. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I used to make these road trips with a photographer friend of mine. And, you know, we'd go spend six hours in a park and it was a lot of fun, you know, uh, to just jump into a new place that you haven't been. But if you're there to do photo work and you want to do go- good photo work, then you know do some research before you go. Um, I love going to Flickr and just seeing the photos that other people are doing right now, uh, especially if you're going to do a fall foliage shoot in a park. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go on Flickr and look up, a, you know, just search for a park and see the photos that people are uploading mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. this week, and it gives you an idea of where the foliage is peaking. Right. Um, you know, on the checkbooks and websites and uh, apps like Chimani. Um, there's so much information out there. You know, all these questions that you can answer before you get on site. You know, it's part of the beauty of being in the 21st century, right?
3: Mm-hmm. One thing that I would add is one of the things that people don't realize, particularly in July and August, is the parks are pretty overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and so one of the, the sort of hidden secrets that I've kind of come up with is as long as you get to the parks before 10 a.m., you actually, there are times when you can have this beautiful park to yourself and no one's there and you're in the height of the tourism season. Man. Once 10 a.m. rolls around, it's, everyone is now in the park yeah. and it's at its you know, height in terms of volume. Um, so you can still kind of get into a lot of these places and the, you just have to work with your timing mm-hmm. of when you're actually there and kind of get ahead of people Mm -hmm. Um, because folks are on vacation, they're coming from maybe sometimes just outside of the parks, there's a bit of a drive, but it seems like that magic moment is 10 a.m. in the parks.
0: And the magic light is well before then, so it actually works out (laughs) fine.
1: It's an excellent point, and I can think of
3: uh, uh, two trips I've made to Yellowstone
1: in the past six years, both in the summer, and nobody's out, the only people you see in the morning are photographers. And I remember (laughs) this one time in particular, and uh, it was 2010, and I I hadn't gotten out of the car yet. I was The sun had just come up, and I'm kind of figuring out what I'm going to shoot, and I hear this noise, and there's <laughs> a stampede of about 15 bison heading right toward me, and they went on both sides of the car and parked at the side of the road, and they're just right by me. Mm-hmm. And I, what an incredible moment, and I was there to witness it alone.
2: Man. Yeah. I
0: yeah. thought you were going to tell me that 15 bison came up and just took out cameras and started photographing <laughs> you. Yeah, they were shooting. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> with
2: polarizers. And are there any restrictions on... And photography of any yeah. Do you need sort? if
0: you use a tripod? Do you need a permit? You don't. No. You okay. only
1: need a. Uh, you, you need a permit if you're doing a commercial shoot. Okay. Um, and so it, there's different ways that they. Um, there's different criteria they use to judge whether you're a commercial shoot. But if if you're only one or two people, that's fine. The cutoff is three. Uh, are you using props? Uh, are you using lighting? Mm-hmm. Um, do you need to shoot somewhere where the general public's not allowed? Um, but for most people, just going into the park with a tripod or two tripods, I mean, if you're just if you're just there alone
0: doing your own work, you're fine. Because certain federal lands, I mean, if you, as soon as you take out a tripod, that classifies you as a professional photographer and a commercial photographer. That's what I was asking. So yeah. it's good to know that you could actually still go into a parking with a tripod and no one's going to give you a hard time. Well,
2: speaking of gear and, and whatnot, can you kind of give us a, uh, I don't know, your 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 basic kit or some ideas in terms of, obviously, lenses and, and cameras, but uh, maybe some of the other uh, accessories that you use? Okay,
1: my basic kit.
2: Mm-hmm. Say, so I have a problem. I was a Boy Scout, so mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. very
1: much of the be prepared a, variety a of photographer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I... Uh, I just got back from a trip yesterday, the North Cascades, and I, uh, and Olympic National and what, Park. And was
2: that um, for yourself, or were you on assignment, I was, or uh, it
1: was both? I was in, uh, I was in Olympic shooting a video with Creative Live, uh-huh. um, National Parks at night. We, we did, It's going to be in September, uh, Night Photography Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we filmed this whole week long event with Creative Live, and my segment was in Olympic National Park. So I was out there filming that, and then I had a couple extra days, so I went to North Cascades. Uh, mm-hmm. On my own, just for fun.
2: And now that would con- that would be considered a, a commercial shoot, and they had that organized and produced exactly and like right. So, so there okay.
1: were there were four people, including mm-hmm. myself, um, uh, you know, the producer and there's a camera person and a, and a uh, production assistant. Um, and yes, so there was a permit for that, right. uh, which Creative Live takes care of all that. Uh, and it was interesting because it, uh, one of the things with a commercial shoot is you can't go into the wilderness; those official wilderness areas. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so there were even restrictions with the permit. Okay. All right. mm. Interesting. Okay. So. Yeah.
0: And it's this kind of thing you could just show up and apply for a permit right then and there? Well, no. You have to. You, have to, you yeah. need this in advance.
3: You apply ahead of time. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. One of the things I might add in terms of just planning, you know, one of the, if you're taking a lot of photographs, um, it, it's energy sources. Where recharging batteries can be a real yeah, challenge when sure. you're in the parks. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times, like, yeah. I'm not necessarily there to do photographs that are gonna be in our apps per se, but I'm documenting the parks. Um, and I just use it using my camera, you know, just to take uh, interpretive signs, just to you know, get a sense of what it's like. So I'm doing a lot of photographs and and I have to be really prepared to make sure I've got a backup battery or, you know, and something that is, you know, because basically a lot of times you're running around to find the closest um, visitor center. Right. And yeah. you're running around trying to find a free outlet. And it's not like an airport these days where there are plenty. Yeah. Um, so if anything's energy dependent, you can quickly find yourself. Energy, <laughs> exactly. yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I actually, for that exact reason, I always bring an inverter with me. So mm. when I'm driving from one place to another, mm-hmm. I can just plug stuff in in the car. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, your car is good yeah. for Yeah, in the yeah. backcountry, yeah. it's a whole different story. Then yeah. you need spare batteries. Um, yeah. Yeah. You could do this. Uh, tether Tools has a um, a piece you can use to reach. I think you could recharge your camera battery, you know, four or five times right. with it. And what I'm really excited about, I don't think the technolo- um, I don't think the technology is there yet for cameras and computer recharging but the solar, solar. backpacks yeah yeah, um, yeah. To get a couple of years that will be a viable option for photographers who want to go spend a week in the backcountry shooting
2: absolutely so getting back then to your kind of your setup what what do you what do you use yes. what do you shoot with what's your, your uh, so i kind of
1: have um one of everything mm-hmm. um you know <laughs> i've got um i'm a but fan no, I'm and a, no backups <laughs> no uh, <laughs> well it's funny you say that uh yeah there are a few things i carry a backup but you know i have uh, my my uh Lens range is usually from 17 to 300, mm-hmm. um, you know, not one lens. I don't like the all-in-ones, but I've got a, a 17 to 35 and a 28-70, uh, 80 to 200, uh, and a 300 to 8. Okay. Um, I might bring al- along something else if I'm, you know, in a park uh, like Yellowstone with great wildlife. Uh, I might bring a 4 or a 500 with me mm-hmm. for that,
2: but generally wouldn't. Um, and I also carry a macro lens. Um, and it will there be sometimes where you'll say you know this is not the trip where i'm going to do wildlife photography and I, you just won't yes. bother so you kind of gear each trip i shouldn't say gear each but you you prepare for each trip <laughs> right yeah well
1: so the trip i just made to mm-hmm. olympic and north cascades i didn't even bring the 300 right. so the 80 to 200 was my my longest lens because i knew it was going to be just landscapes
0: right yeah. and somewhere in the back you head was it Bothering you that you didn't have a 300 just in case?
1: No, and it's funny. It happened the other way around in Death Valley last year. I brought my 300 to 8 on my back, cross-country, mm-hmm. you know, flying with it and having to towed it through the airport and everything. And I was in Death Valley uh, on a shoot for four days, and on the last day I hadn't used it yet. <laughs> and I said, I did not carry this lens out here not to use <laughs> it. And I found something that last morning. I, I got to find something to shoot with the 300. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And as a, uh, uh, I guess, primarily a landscape guy, do, what, what's your tripod uh, choice? You uh, I use
1: the the Gitzo uh, 3541. Um, okay. it it's a carbon uh, fiber. It's a carbon fiber. Yeah, yeah it's um, it's light enough i, I kind of switched i was still using aluminum when i was about 35 and it was mm-hmm. it was getting just old enough to not want to do that anymore yeah, so the, yeah, yeah. i love the light carbon fiber yeah. tripods uh, i also have the new it's the, the manfrotto 190 go i just got it so
2: i haven't gotten to play with it a lot yet but okay. it's uh it's a it's a pretty sleek tripod okay and are there any items that we might not not normally think of that uh that are kind of essentials for you? you Yeah, in fact, you know, you mentioned backup gear. There's a few things I always make sure I have a
1: back because they're so important um, to a shoot. Uh, Because I always think, you know, everybody has their cameras that they like. I'm not going to try to talk anybody into changing. Um, But what I do always push is the ancillary gear, which I think makes a real difference between, you know, an easier shoot or a harder harder time out there. Uh, I'm I'm almost always shooting with a polarizing filter. Mm -hmm. It's so critical to my work that I, I have two. Mm Because if something were to ever happen to it, it would just completely change how I'd have to approach uh, a park. Um, Also, an intervalometer or even just a a cable release. Um, You know, if that's important in your work, if you're doing night photography or shooting waterfalls, anything with long exposures, if that were to break, then you're you're out of luck. Uh, I mean, you could use the camera
0: self-timer, but... That just wastes a lot of time. When you're shooting landscapes, do you ever use any of the graduated filters, either the neutral or color? I do. I carry them. I don't use them all the time
1: uh, because it, with some scenes, it's easier to do it in post production. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. grad ND filters are great for a straight horizon. Uh, any you know anything where your uh, your graduation is long uh, an even plane get into the mountains, it can get trickier because yes, it's kind of sure. a jagged. Uh, but I carry them. I use them when, it's, when that's the best tool to use. And then if I think that um, combining two exposures uh, in post-production, if I think that's the best tool, then I'll Keep the uh, the graduated ND in the bag and do it that way
0: instead. Well, well, you problem. also said before that you use, uh, you actually carry a backup polarizing. I filter. do. Now, are all your lenses the same filter size, or do you it, have a yes. large? F- oh, they are. Okay. That, yes, that's that something makes it I've
1: easy. I've always made sure. Uh, so I, I, I shoot Nikon, and I uh, all the lenses I have are seventy-seven millimeter oh, okay. filter, except for the three hundred two eight. But that has a drop-in
2: filter, so it's mm-hmm. that's easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your backpack? Or do you use a backpack?
1: <laughs> I just started using a Manfrotto Bumblebee, okay. um, and it's it's nice. So it's it's a pretty new design, um, and it has it has some nice features to it. It's got a laptop slot in it, um, and uh, it's very comfortable, which is the the big the key thing. Key. Yeah, yeah because if you're going to be in the backcountry, you know you don't want anything rubbing a wrong spot in the wrong way, and uh, uh, it's a very comfortable backpack
0: to carry around. I always say when it comes to bags. Make sure you like it and it's comfortable because you're going to be living with this thing, especially when it's loaded up.
2: Absolutely. And what about uh, favorite locations or or favorite parks or favorite vistas? I mean, is there anything that stands out?
1: How long do we have? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll give you three. three. Uh, Well, I love Acadia because that was kind of my backyard park growing up. I mean, it was a seven-hour drive from Connecticut, but it was the one I was closest to. I love Olympic National Park. Um, There's so it's like three completely different ecosystems to shoot in with the rainforest and the mountains and the coast, and they're all beautiful. Uh, Yellowstone has so much variety as a photographer. You can, you can focus on a different genre every day. Like you could shoot wildlife one day and wildflowers the next and geothermal features the next. So much there to do. And then the night skies, um, you know, something that I think we don't think about a lot. Is, uh, you know we all know that the national parks preserve these great landscapes and they preserve homes for wildlife and the animals and but they also preserve darkness right. um, yeah. because they tend to be in these remote areas and in places where they take light pollution seriously. So so many, so many of the parks have great night skies, um, Death Valley. Uh, I was just in uh, some of the Utah parks uh, in um, Zion and uh, Capitol Reef in the spring. It's, I mean, just gorgeous night skies, uh, especially if you live anywhere near a city, you know, to be able to get out to these places and see what the sky looked like to our ancestors of even just 100 years ago. Uh, it's
0: it's just, it's breathtaking. Where haven't you been that you want to go to? Oh, that's a good one.
1: <laughs> um, I would love to go to Kings Canyon National Park. I uh, haven't been there. I um, Where where is that? The King's Canyon is in, um, it's in California and it's right, right snug up against Sequoia National Park, uh, which is, you know, uh, that's one of the more famous ones. Um, But King's Canyon, just beautiful mountain country there. In fact, Ansel Adams had a big hand in getting that established as a national park uh, because he loved shooting in that area so much.
2: And uh, what about some of the like kind of the classic views, like, uh, I don't know, El Capitan or others? Do you just, Just avoid those because there's too many people. I mean, are are there are some of these famous places just kind of impossible to get a shot without somebody standing in front of you with a cell phone or
1: Um, (laughs) or or with a camera? Yeah, Um, there are a few spots that that get a little crowded. Um, I I don't avoid them. there's an argument to be made either way you sure. know some photographers just don't want to photograph something that's been photographed uh, and and that's fine totally. I shoot them anyway for a few reasons I mean one there's a you know there's a business purpose mm-hmm. you know if I if I'm telling people I shot Yellowstone I, I and they ask me for a photo of old faithful I've got to be able to say I have it yeah. right mm-hmm. um, but also you know there's a there's a reason that these places are photographed so much they're beautiful mm-hmm. and uh, I want to take a crack at it too. But the third thing is I also like the challenge of trying to find something new to do in a place that's been photographed a million times, um, a whether to, to, you know, I, I always say do some research, find out the best times to go and all that, but flip that around too, you know, find the best times to go and then go at a different time and see what you can make of it. Yeah, There's this spot in Yellowstone uh, Artist Point, which mm-hmm. is one of the most, it might be the most famous spot to shoot after tunnel view mm-hmm. in Yosemite and the whole park system. And you look back at that old work that was done. Moran did a painting of it. Uh, Jackson did a photo of it. Ansel Adams shot it, right. you know, and then people are still shooting it today. It's this one spot that just draws people uh, for all these years. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, yeah. Any, uh, tips that you would throw out or that you, you mention a lot when you talk about this to, uh, the photographers, uh, maybe things people wouldn't normally think about. I'd say get on the trail. Yeah.
1: Uh, in Yellowstone, they talk about the ninety ten rule. There's ninety percent of the visitors see only ten percent of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that goes for a lot of photographers too. Especially when you're carrying the gear, it's easy to just work out of the trunk of the car um, and to go to the overlooks and all that. And you could do a lot of beautiful work that way. Mm-hmm. But if you go even just a quarter of a mile down a trail in any national park, you can probably find yourself alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, just go for even just a day hike, and you'll find these spots that are just yours to shoot, uh, you know, places that haven't been photographed a million times.
0: Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and speak with Carrie. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the BH Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. We are back. Uh, Kerry, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Chimani, um, how it started off and
3: sure, everything yeah. it does? Yeah, so ironically... Where it I'm- is. Yeah, ironically, it actually started in Acadia, my my home park as well. A hundred years ago? <laughs> Not a hundred, but <laughs> it feels like that in the age of technology, actually. So two thousand eight. So that seems like a hundred years. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I mean, you know, really, yeah, I was in the I was in the park hiking, and it was a uh, pretty early spring, so it was still kind of rough conditions with some snow on the ground. Um, I was traveling light, and I had the first generation iPhone. And uh, you know, when I started to sort of want to learn more about the park, my myself and not having a paper guide, um, I quickly realized that a you know, more people were going to want to use this device as it became more popular and became a part of the experience, and then also that the signal was very difficult to get. Mm-hmm. There was virtually no connectivity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was the beginning of Chimani, and so the basic concept around Chimani is to still take the value that comes from a curated, original content that you would expect from a travel guidebook, but to have that designed specifically for a, a mobile app experience but more importantly, have it work without a cell phone connection. Mm-hmm. And so we develop these guides specific to national parks and to make sure that any information that you need to get on it works when you have no connection whatsoever.
0: And when you say any information that aside from really wonderful photography, what kind of information say, say I'm going to Yellowstone or any of the parks that you, you have after? What are you giving me in that? What am I going to find? What kind of information as a photographer?
3: Yep. Yeah, so probably, you know, one of the things that is of great value is to begin, as Chris has talked about, is just beginning to plan your trip. And so, you know, you can use the, the app to really even basic bookmarking of the different spots that you want to go to. Um, and so, and to have that in the palm of your hand. And, and photos
2: are included in, in each of your... Yeah, uh,
3: exactly. So, so you the, know what to expect. Exactly. And, um, you know, and also once again, you know, what well, your bookmarking is available when you don't have a signal. And it's also all geolocated information. So the maps for our apps, you know, you download download them, and they're available offline. So the GPS still works, and you can find out exactly where that point of interest is that you're going to to begin your shoot. Mm-hmm. The other thing that people really find of value as a photographer is that we have the sunrise, sunset information for a lot of the key locations within the park. Yeah. But not only that, we've got also the golden hours, which is included in that. <laughs> and so this is information for you know a full year into the future, available mm-hmm. offline for a range of different locations within the park in a cell phone in your cell phone and completely accessible. That, that's
0: important, I think, when doing state parks because. The golden light is not necessarily the same time it would be if everything is flat. Yeah, exactly. And most <laughs> of these parks have a lot of mountains, which change yeah. change everything. Yeah. So that's that's pretty useful to yeah. have.
3: Which is why we don't just have one entry. I mean, once again, all of this is geolocated. So, you know, we're pulling in data from different locations right. throughout the park.
2: That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming maps are... Like- one of the more important aspects of the uh...
3: maps are the, the number one yeah. used function within the apps. Yeah. Um, just you know, basic navigation. Uh, the photo gallery is pretty much number three. Okay. Um, our apps are very as you you download them and they're all available for free. There, it's a very visual design. Mm-hmm. You know the the park experience that we were talking earlier, where I mean, photography is really you know the top three activities within parks. Mm-hmm. It really is an informal activity, right next to hiking and, and auto. Touring, yeah. um, especially now with the age of a lot of the amateur photography that comes with the, the iPhones, um, it is such a, you know a key experience. So talking about other, other tips, you know what we'll try and do, and this is more geared to I think more of the amateur photographer mm-hmm. is just to give them some basic orientation about you know you're, you you maybe just be shooting on your iPhone, but just don't shoot in the middle of the day, you know. And, <laughs> and, you know <laughs> Please exactly, don't exactly do you know and and some recommendations of. The, some of the more iconic locations that you might want to go.
0: Are the pictures yeah. you have on your app are they static or if if. I take what I think is an amazing picture. Can I upload it to your site? Is there a gallery? Is there a place people can share?
3: We we don't have a a way in which we can automatically add it on the fly. Uh, Of course, once again, you know, there's some tricky engineering that we do to make it all work offline. But we encourage uh, folks to actually send photographs. So the the majority of our photographs that are within the apps are really done by what I call sort of like semi-pro amateur type photographers that we've either identified who've just been shooting the park. And and that's their home park. And and we reach out to them. And this serves as a platform to showcase their work. Um, But in general, as people see, we don't have a a photograph for every point of interest, you know, because there are hundreds. Exactly. And that's where we really reach out to other photographers to feel free to submit. How many parks do you actually have coverage on? Yeah, so we have an individual guide for all 59. There's an app for each individual park and then an overall
2: app, I noticed, yeah. Exactly,
3: exactly. So we've started to expand. We have a um, a guide for Cape Cod National Seashore as well, which is not necessarily a national park. Um, But that was as of June 1st. We launched uh, a free individual app for all 59 national parks.
0: Also, I think it's uh, one thing that dawned on me when I was loading up for this uh, uh, podcast that. All fifty-nine of these parks are not necessarily in the continental United States. There are other. What what are some of the faraway parks that are included here?
3: Well, I mean, well, American Samoa is probably the 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 furthest away, um, which is essentially closer to Australia than it is mainland U.S. Yeah. I mean, my favorite is Dry Tortugas. You know, which you know is a three and a half hour one way ferry ride from Key West. Um, you know and then you've, of course you've got um all of the Alaskan parks you know even beyond Denali it's you know some very remote parks uh, in Alaska as well you you get virgin back Islands to, too yeah, yeah yeah exactly virgin islands also yeah. Oh, yeah
2: yeah uh you sort you said you source your photos from you you will reach out to some photographers, but uh, and and you'll take submissions. But do you also go to stock photography if you need to, or is it uh, is it kind of a, a catch all type of yeah, situation? Yeah,
3: I mean, you know, honestly, the the National Park Service, their Flickr feeds have really started to improve quite a bit, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and so as you start to get um, a lot more uh, rangers who are really actively. Um, supporting that, that, you know. So when we get photographs from them, it's it's a lot of just sort of orientating the user about the app so that we've got a visual image that we can attach to a point of interest.
2: And you find a lot of rangers are also photographers?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are some amazing rangers that are actually really great photographers. And and the park service has really started to embrace social, social media. Yeah. Um, it varies from park to park. It, it also just varies based on the skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are some parks where they are flicker it has really improved quite a bit over the years. And
2: what's your relationship with uh, the National Park Service? Do you
3: have... Uh, we don't have a formal relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've... But it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, <laughs> they're great. I mean, we work more speci- with specific parks. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, you know, for example, we launched, uh, when we launched our Petrified Forest app, um, as a smaller park, they were very excited about the fact that they had this private company that they could work with and, and it was virtually free for their visitors. So, um, we worked with them to, they actually invited us down to the park and just to fill out that 10% and make it absolutely accurate. So one of our staff members were with them for two days working with that.
0: How, how, how large is your organization?
3: Now, there are seven of us. Okay. Yeah, seven okay. of us based in Portland, Maine.
2: Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. And when you were a hiker and a, a camper, this was your thing before you got into this?
3: Yeah. But, you know, uh, I, I've worked for the parks Service once, and that uh-huh. was in Point Reyes National Seashore, but it was in their, in their environmental ed camping college. That's okay. my only formal oh, experience. I've just been passionate about the outdoors, Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the interesting connection here, and and I've always done eclectic technology-type projects. Okay. when we talked about, um, uh, you may ask this question again, but the origin of Chimani is actually a national park in Zimbabwe. It's uh, uh, named for the Chimani-Mani Mountains National Park in Zimbabwe. Oh, I thought just thought
0: you were big on Greek yogurt.
3: You no, know, no, exactly. Oh, Chimani. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so a lot of international track But when the mobile device came out, it was uh, really the first time where I could actually you know, bridge my passion for technology and the outdoors. because This is really fun and device that was going to be part of the outdoor experience. And you're a free app, so how, if I may ask, how do you guys monetize? Yeah, so we work with a lot of large brands, actually, that okay. look at the you know national park demographic. And we have a unique way, a way in which they can actually include their branding and message it within the apps. And mm-hmm. uh, if you look at our apps, it's divided into these sort of iconic categories, hiking, auto touring. Mm-hmm. And then we use one of those uh, essentially uh, spaces within the app to allow for messaging for the different brands okay yeah. okay all right yeah it's, it's it's still a wild west with the mobile app world in terms of how you mm. you know turn this into a business so you have to be creative and you know and and we have such a defined there's a very clear demographic that goes to national parks and a lot of brands recognize that, that demographic is very much in line with um, some of their marketing goals mm-hmm. so I think it's ultimately a win-win for the customer because in a lot of ways it's it's a non-intrusive way of uh, um, of still making the apps free mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. still having a, a strong brand that in general is actually, you know, usually connected to the national park experience in many ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you still get out to parks regularly and do you have guides and writers that are, that, I guess, people who go out? find something new and then you include it in the app?
3: Well, yeah. So a lot of, and so we work with about 25 different writers right now, you know, so they're scattered all around. Um, and, uh, we also have a whole uh, network of, uh, ambassadors, brand ambassadors. So these are passionate people about the park that love our app. And so they're starting to produce a lot more content. Mm -hmm. Um, and then quite honestly, a a lot of, um, what were sort of the updates or any new information come from our users. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, well how often up. do
2: you update? Is, if there's, let's say, uh, I don't know, a problem or a, a storm, you, you get all that information up there as much?
3: Yeah, as we, we have a pretty fancy way where our, our editor can go in and, and edit an entry and we can publish it and the clients are essentially updated with 24 hours. Um, we also use uh, push notifications with the app for more time-sensitive information, closures or um, significant um, uh, events that are happening within particular parks. And so that's a very top-of-mind type notification that will be sent out.
0: So this is not a static app. This oh, no. Is, this yeah. is very organic. And, and Chris, did you use the app? Uh, oh, is that
1: I have how, is that all, how you all, came all across? 59 are on my iPad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even Do, go out taking pictures you? anymore. He just flips. <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> and
2: and Carrie you were saying that you've grown to uh, include uh, parks in England yeah yeah you know?
3: so uh, we just launched uh, Lake District National Park mm-hmm. um, in the United Kingdom um, and so w- it's our first international park and so we're really working closely with the Park service and our people who um, have worked at that park to really kind of understand the new dynamics of, of an international park um and the the plan we've got a number of of other international parks are in the editorial queue right now. Uh-huh. Um, it, the, the park experience is really neat because it really is an international experience. Um, you know, we've, we've uh, three years ago, we were talking to the Israeli Park uh, park Service. They approached us mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the challenges that they find and why a lot of people kind of reach out to us is that it's that offline connectivity that, yeah. you know, is a really mm-hmm. challenging yeah. engineering issue to work on. And because from the start, we've always... Built everything to work offline and to work specifically for these destinations. Were there other
2: nations' national parks that we used as our models, or are we one of the first? Do you guys know anything about the history of yeah, national parks yeah. around the world? Yeah,
3: yeah. well, I mean, we, we were we were the first, uh-huh. you know, and I think folks have maybe fine-tuned the model. Yeah, um, I always refer to New Zealand as as probably the the, the country that's really set up a great. Public-private type infrastructure. How far
0: back does their park service go? Do you
3: have any idea? I I don't know, but it's it's certainly not as long as ours. Um, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay, but, but
0: ours is ours is the first national.
3: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We you, really.
0: Yeah, Yellowstone was the first national park in the world. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: And how how often do we add a, a new park? To our system, is there a kind of a
1: not not often anymore? What's but the most but in recent? 2013 pinnacles.
2: Pinnacles. All oh, right. And, right. And right. And there right.
1: was some talk about trying to get a park done this year for the centennial, but I haven't. I don't think they're yeah. close to that happening. Is B
0: and state a national? Because be. there, um, be there are that people that come to New York there. specifically just to come
3: here, <laughs> shop, or look, look around and gawk, and then get on a plane and fly away. I mean, no. it's true. It oh, no, no, I've, I've, <laughs> i It was to me because I bought every camera from <laughs> B&H, and, you know, and it wasn't until recently that I actually walked into the store. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are an official New York
0: City tourist attraction. <laughs> yeah,
3: Seriously, we are. Well, it's, an, it's funny. There
1: have been times I've been in the park, and I, I wear my, I've wear i got a black b hat, and it's <laughs> great for night <laughs> photography. I wear it a lot. And people will ask me across the country, oh, B&H would, you know, because yeah. they know they know the store. That's why they, <laughs> where they buy their stuff. I've oh, met yeah. a lot of people who have said, oh, I've never been to the store. It's, you know, 3,000 miles away from my house. <laughs> <That's true. laughs>
0: but all of my spare money
1: goes
2: there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> So, Carrie, okay, do you have any uh, any favorite parks or any favorite parts of parks? Or yeah, or is that tough to answer? You well, want to be very fair. I, suppose. I you
3: know it's, they're all you know they're all special because that's why they're all national parks. Right. Um, like Chris, I mean, Acadia was really my home park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spent the most time there. I went to school on the West Coast, so Yosemite was definitely uh, you know it's you know deep in my and heart. Was Acadia
2: the first East Coast park to be named? Because you said it's coming up on its hundredth anniversary, also. So yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah, so so it's celebrated its anniversary, but the official sort of celebration is uh two days after the, the the National Park service celebration on the
0: 27th when, when they started this up the park service how many parks were automatically designated and in what period of time
1: any idea yeah uh, do you know the exact number how many were yeah I, I, I don't know I, I don't either yeah. but it, it was kind of there was no umbrella oversight organization for these parks that we had created, so the Park Service was founded in 1916 to uh, to manage oh, all okay. that.
2: Okay, all right, got it. Right, uh, got this it. is the cent- yeah the centennial of the service of yeah. the this service. Yeah. The okay park, yes. right. exactly.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: So these parks actually existed earlier than 100 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
3: go back to Yellowstone, and I mean, they're essentially the park rangers were the army. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no Park Service, and so people—the protection and the enforcement, and whether it be poachers or whatnot—was done by the army. Yeah, In Yosemite, they had Buffalo soldiers yeah. stationed there, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and I think there's some debate whether or not technically maybe Yosemite was the first park, but it didn't actually have that designation. Well, it was set
1: aside, but California was left to manage it. So it wasn't Uh, national technically until after Yellowstone.
2: Interesting, okay, (laughs) a raging battle. Uh, (laughs) If
1: you really want to get into it, ask somebody from Arkansas. Hot Springs National Park was preserved in some fashion earlier in the 1800s, um, but... uh, Again, not named a national park, so. But ask somebody from Arkansas, and they'll they'll make this it's conversation a, lively.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All righty. So, uh, well maybe this. I can throw this out to both of you guys as uh, <laughs> maybe a final question, or for for like the your regular photographer, you know, not not your pros or, or your really established. Are there ways to uh, get their work? that they, the photos they take in the parks out there? I mean, is there any kind of uh, place to submit photos? I know the National Park Service has an incredible archive that Ellen mentioned, but I don't think they just take submissions. Do you know, uh, I well, mean, if you're two- a photographer and you, you frequent the parks, what can you do with your stuff?
1: Well, there's two things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is... Uh, I just did an interview with uh, Jacob W. Frank, who is a, a photographer who is a ranger at Glacier National Park. He's probably the best-known photographer slash that, ranger. That's in, be, Montana. in Montana. In Montana. Um, and he was talking about, because he started as a volunteer, mm-hmm. uh, and he was talking about opportunities. He said a lot of the smaller parks would be very open to that because uh, they don't have a budget to have a photographer on staff. So if you live near a place like, you know, uh, maybe Congaree National Park in South Carolina, uh, that's, you know, it's a smaller park. Uh, you know, if you were to live there, maybe offer offer you know, your services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. show um, your work. Right. Uh, another thing is uh, the national park. The annual passes uh, all have a photo on them mm-hmm. every year. It's a different photo, and they actually have a contest for that. And it's a very good photography contest uh, with good prizes. A couple years ago, I believe the cash prize was fifteen thousand uh, dollars plus gear plus exposure. Uh, and that's, a, if you go to sharetheexperience.org, uh, all the information is there.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, that's cool. And does do the Park Service have a a dedicated photography staff or a team, do you know? There is a dedicated, there is a photographer, I think, for the entire Park Service.
0: Yeah, they recently that, were advertising that there was an opening, and they're yeah, paid pretty can, well, but you have no home life.
1: It, it went viral, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they were, I think it was at the end of last year, yeah. they, they posted this job um, where they wanted an 8 by 10 Negative photographer. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was kind of the today's Ansel Adams mm-hmm. that they were looking for.
2: Ellen, go for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I only own a four-five. I can't do okay. it. Right. Um, interesting. You're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, interesting topic on the parks. A nice change for, uh, pace for us here as well. Kerry,
3: can you tell us um, where people can find your app? Sure, absolutely. So you can go to our website, which is chamani.com. That's spelled C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can just go into either Google Play or the Apple App Store and type in Chimani, and you'll see a whole list of all the parks available for free.
0: Okay, and it's it gets a wonderful site, very, very well designed, and a lot of fun to get through.
2: Thank you. Real quickly, is there an, an advantage to going to one of the individual park apps I mean, is there more information, more specific information that you're going to find on the general app?
3: Yeah, the general app really, we kind of call it our virtual bookshelf. It gives Uh an overview, and it's also a complete overview of the entire park service system. So as soon as there's a new unit, we'll actually add that to the the total catalog. But for detailed guides, I mean, the level of detail we get down to is where the restrooms are. (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's it's probably our fifth most used feature, you know. (laughs) Seriously. I believe it. I believe it. So So that's really the level of detail that you get with the individual. Detail right, guides. Right. That's great.
2: There's a big picture of a tree when you open up that. that, I have, of that right? I've <laughs> taken
3: many of outhouse photographs just oh, yeah. to document that. Okay, good,
2: good, good, good. okay, so Chimani.com. Yeah. That's the easy answer for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Chris, okay.
3: uh, where can we find
1: your work? Well, my book, Photographing National Parks, is on Amazon mm-hmm. um, and also at uh, my website, uh, which is photographingnationalparks.com. Uh, And then at uh, the the night photography workshops, we're just about to launch our 2017 itinerary, just about to announce that.
0: And where uh, can we find that? Nationalparksatnight.com. Okay. All right. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to my producers and partners in crime, John Harris and Jason Tables. If you like today's show, spread the word by leaving a review and rate us on iTunes. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in today.